Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Forrest Barber. Forrest, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You're you're absolutely welcome. So uh, Forrest, uh, we're just going to kind of get into uh, a few questions that I like to ask all of the guests just to kind of keep uh, the continuity of each uh, podcast conversation. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual that you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days? Yes. So I wake up and I usually have a hot beverage. Um, I'm trying to keep it like non-caffeinated at the moment. Uh, and then I usually go outside into the backyard. I'm in Canada for the summer, so it's it's beautiful. I go sit underneath one of a big oak tree or a big maple tree, and I meditate for at least 11 minutes and 11 seconds. Okay. Uh, what's the significance of the 11 minutes and 11 seconds for the meditation? I don't know. I just think it's... it's uh, you know, they call them like angel numbers or whatever, but it, it's like, I don't know, a minute and 11 seconds, more than 10 minutes. Okay. Um. So yeah, it's just something that I've been doing for many years now. Uh, just, you know, some time I can give to myself before I turn my phone on, before I uh, start focusing on the out, outside world, right? It's just like that gift to myself each morning. And on the very rare morning when I don't start with a meditation, sometimes I'll do like a like a restorative yoga pose. Um, I've been working in a restaurant the past few weeks, and we'll be doing so all summer. So I've been working late nights, and my mornings haven't really been mornings. They've been more like noons uh, when I'm getting out of bed. So sometimes I'm just not getting a good night's sleep, and I just will do the restorative yoga pose like Vipariti Karni, which is like legs up against the wall pose, uh, and just uh, give myself the 11 minutes there, or sometimes even do 20, 22 minutes if I'm just doing the restorative yoga. Awesome, man. Love that. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite book or book that you like to gift often? Oh my God, that's a great question. You know, I'm not really that big of a reader. I'll be quite honest with you. Um, a gift that I usually give people that is book E would be like tarot cards. And uh, I like to give out the Osho deck of tarot cards. But a book, I guess one of the most recent books I've gifted was uh, Inward by Young Pueblo. And they're like short poems about uh about yeah going inwards i guess um yeah that was that's the last one that i've gifted okay uh do you listen to uh, to podcasts much or not so much for us so i listen to podcasts occasionally it depends on like what type like what i'm doing um because my life is very varied, like like I said, I'm working in a restaurant while I'm here in Canada, but then when I go back to India, like my life is a completely different life. Um, 
there have been times where I've been really into podcasts, like when I had to sit and do work, which did not require um, speaking to people or paying attention to like the outside what's going on around me. Um, presently, I will go, I will like see something that catches my eye and then I will listen to podcasts. So like, I think the last one was like Huberman Lab because he was talking something about like, I listened to his podcast on water and, and uh, hydration because mm. that's something that interests me and um, also something on like medicinal or like medicinal psilocybin i thought that one was really cool but yeah it's like usually when i when i find something uh that's of interest to me Mm -hmm. then i do but not i wouldn't say not so much okay so the 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 huberman podcast is something that you have kind of checked out here recently huh correct yeah okay excellent i've i uh, i haven't uh his his episodes are really really long and i'm kind of the type of person if i'm going to listen to podcasts i kind of like to uh you know finish the podcast so to speak that's why i've never really gotten into joe rogan or anything um but uh maybe maybe that's why i don't listen to them so often either because they are quite long right so it's like an hour an hour and a half two hours like Mm -hmm. a long time like sure if you're like driving all the time that makes sense but like you got a busy life and um, sometimes I just like to listen to music, right? Because the music makes me feel good. Yeah. Whereas, uh, whereas a podcast, like also like I could be listening and then I'll, I can tune out sometimes, right? Depending on what I start thinking about or whatever. So, so yeah, it, um, maybe I should look into these small or the shorter podcasts, like the 20 minute, the 30 minute ones. Um, but yeah, when it's something that you really like, that you're really interested in, I th- I feel like you will car- carve the time out. Yeah. Um, like, uh, I so I was really big into podcasts, like, summer of 2020, dur- during, like, uh, like, lockdowns and, like, restrictions and everything, right? So everybody basically had all this time in the world, right? So I, that back then, my morning practice was like three hours, right? I would do my yoga, I would do my meditation, I would do my morning pages, uh, you know, my my drinking my big lemon water and all this stuff. And then I would proceed after all that three hours of practice to like cook a breakfast from scratch, right? Mm. Like a whole foods breakfast, not nothing fast foody, nothing like processed, right? Everything from scratch. So when I had that time... I would listen to podcasts more often, right? Because I, I would have like an hour and while I was cooking to, to listen and even continue into eating and listen. But yeah, it's life kind of changed after that. It kind of got busy again. Mm-hmm. And I also, since then, like lived in, I was like living in three other countries. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, you know, you know, life comes and changes and, Actually, that's kind of like how my life is. I like to change things up quite frequently. And I've been doing that for, you know, the past 10 years. Prior to COVID, I hadn't really been in one place in 10 years for longer than three months. Mm. 
Okay, well, we're we're gonna get into that uh, a little bit okay. further. Uh, I I uh, there's a reason why I reached out to you on Instagram to bring you on. I I, I knew that you'd be a great guest, and it, it just kind of looked from the outside, uh, uh, you know, looking in, so to speak. I I, I assumed that we were gonna have a great conversation. You'd be a a guest like uh, none other that I've ever had on a podcast. So um. Now you mentioned music for us. Talk to me a little bit about music because um, music is a universal language. Um, it's it's a very powerful medium, as as most of us know. Um, there's probably very few humans uh, that have access to to some sort of music that that doesn't uh, listen to music or actually you know engage in uh, singing or playing an instrument. So uh, what's kind of your go-to music? Talk to us a little bit about what music and that medium means to you, means to you, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. So music is just like, I don't know. It's an extension of emotion, I find. Like, uh, you know, there's something like if you're feeling sad or down, like you have music for that. Or if you need a good cry, then there's other music that can bring that out. Or, you know, if you're feeling happy, be or energize like there's music for that so it is like you said a universal medium um i tend my music is like stuff that i've collected like favorites i've collected mostly throughout my life i just use spotify and have my liked music right mostly um to be honest because i don't live in north america mostly i don't really know what's like hot and popular i don't listen to the radio mm -hmm. so i'm not like the best and like and well-versed in like what popular music is in this moment uh if i hear something and i like it i obviously shazam it and then it goes onto my like list on spotify but um yeah it's like i i really love like 80s music um all genres i love pop music i'm not gonna lie I freaking love pop music. Um, and yeah, I like synth pop a lot. I like, I like a little bit of everything. Okay. And um, yeah, music is just something so beautiful that, yeah, you don't even need to speak the same language as somebody, but you can communicate with them in that, in that way. And I think that in so many cultures around the world, like, like, Look at Africa, right? Like there's so many places in Africa where it's like drumming and dancing and singing. And it's just like, it's just a part of life, right? Um, and even in India, like uh, where I mostly live, um, yeah, there's so many types of different kinds of music, like folk music and, um, and more Hindustani music. Uh, instruments that aren't so popular in the west but like the tabla and it's just like it's just something that's developed in its own way and so many different cultures around the world i don't think there's any culture that doesn't that doesn't uh have music in a part of it awesome man okay uh what is a life lesson that you have been taught or that you've learned within recent times for us Hmm. That's a good one. I would say I 
Hmm, how do I put this into words? <laughs> A life lesson that I've recently uh, learned, I would say, like, you can't trust everyone. Does that make Is that good? Is that mm -hmm. acceptable? I don't know. I've had, I'm a very open person. I'm a very giving person. I'm a very kind person. I would, I would say. Um, and I guess not everybody's like me. Mm -hmm. And I've run into some people that I thought were really dear friends and turned out to do some not so nice things. Right. And I was just like, Whoa, like who even does that? But yeah, um, I guess, yeah, it's you don't trust everyone or it takes time to really build a strong relationship that these things that uh, you think it's it's there, but quite quickly might not be the case, mm. which was the case for me. Um, but yeah, I guess that's that's like the biggest thing I've had in the past year. Okay. Biggest lesson. So let me ask you, Forrest, uh, if you don't mind, um, because you are such a, a kind, loving, giving individual, when somebody kind of breaks that trust that you maybe uh, provided them or had in them, how do you process that or how do you um, internally work through that when somebody breaks that trust or uh, maybe disappoints you or, or lets you down uh, something in, in that regard. What, what does that look like for you when you, uh, uh, have to go through that? Because I'm somebody that it's hard for me to trust people because I've been, you know, uh, I don't know if you want to use the word hurt so many times or just let down so many times. Yeah. Uh, so, so talk to me about that process when you have to go through that, unfortunately. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing I would say in regards to that is like you know feel your feelings right feel feel like be present with what you're feeling right like don't try to escape it like like if you feel like crap just let yourself feel like crap right no you know this too shall pass it's not going to be there forever um but yeah I think like just finding somebody that you can speak with about it, whether that's like a therapist or if you have a dear friend or somebody that you can open up to, um, that always helps. I mean, for everybody, it's kind of different, right? Like I myself like to talk about it. Um, then my other friends like, you should write about it. Like, so writing is really strong for her, right? Uh, I do try to write a little bit, but talking is an easier medium for me to, to communicate. Um, but yeah, just feel the feelings and just like not bypass them, I guess. And, and it sucks. Like, you know, like it, it was, there was grief there too, because then, you know, I lost two people that I thought were, uh, my dear friends. Right. So like, you know, everything could, you think you got over everything. Right. Mm hmm. 
it's been like weeks that you never thought about it or anything. And then just one day you like smacks you across the face and you're like, what the hell? I thought this, you know, I thought I was over this. And it's mm. like, no, it's, it's there still. Mm. And, you know, grief is non-cyclical. It's like, or non-linear. Uh, it's, it will come and go and it, it changes um, throughout time or over time. But yeah, I, I think at first I was like not, I didn't want to sit with the feelings of being like hurt, right? And I just tried to keep busy and like uh, go on about my, you know, keep keep my activities like really high and like when I was not feeling great, like try to like avoid it a bit. And in the end, I think it just prolongs everything or it can like manifest in other ways in your body, like uh, like maybe you get sick or... Um, you know, your body keeps track of all all the things that happen in your life, right? Mm -hmm. So I believe that. So, um, so yeah, just be present with what you're feeling and like and and work through it in whichever way you got to do, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's writing, it's talking, it's journaling, it's uh, um, going out for a run. A lot of people tend to uh, like to do physical activities, especially when they're angry about something. Um, it's a great way to channel the anger, but, um, yeah, just being present with, with the feelings and with what happened and, uh, knowing that it, it won't last forever and it sucks, but you know, it's a lesson, right? All these, mm -hmm. all these like things are lessons in life and, um, we've got to make, I don't know, I try, I try to, to learn from them. Yeah. Um, and by being present with your feelings, I think that is learning from it uh and, and like analyzing it a bit or whatever but uh i feel like if you're just pushing it away and just like trying to forget about it then you're not really learning from the, the uh situation hmm. love it um okay last question for us in regards to the kind of the conversational starter questions and then we're gonna uh we're gonna take a a, a deep dive into your backstory here uh in a moment but uh, I'd like to know, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Uh, I think I already said it. This too shall pass. Like, like, just be present in the moment, enjoy it, or maybe not enjoy it for what it is. Um, but realize, like, you know, the highs are temporary, the lows are temporary. Like, everything is uh, in, uh, in Hindu... Uh, philosophy that's called the Nitya Bhav. It's like the cloud that's in the sky is ever changing, right? It's never going to be the same cloud. Uh, it could be a big fluffy cloud. It could thin out. It could disappear. It could rain. Um, so yeah, just ride the wave, I guess. Perfect, man. Love it. Okay. So uh, we're going to kind of transition now for us into your backstory, your your childhood, your upbringing. Sure. Uh, I would I would like to know uh, specifically where were you physically born, and then what was your childhood like? Kind of paint that picture for us in terms of your relationship with your parents. Uh, are you an only child? Do you have siblings? Uh, did you play sports? Were you into music? Did you like school? Did you hate school? Um, were there any uh, pivotal moments in your childhood that you feel like really changed you or shaped you 
Um, can you kind of can you kind of just uh, share a little bit about that childhood up to about high school for us, and then um, you can talk about high school if you like, and then stop there because I've got some questions that kind of move us on and transition us from that point. Okay, cool. So I was born and raised uh, in the countryside, just outside of Toronto, like uh, maybe like forty-five minute drive. Um, and I was born, yeah, so I was grew up in the countryside. I have a brother that's 13 months younger than me. Uh, until the age of five, my parents were together. And then my father, sorry, my mother got sick with cancer when I was like, I think I must have been like two years old because my brother was quite young. Mm. And... I guess at that time, I don't remember any of this, but um, I guess my father had a really hard time dealing with all that and kind of just took off or like went and did his thing and kind of, yeah, abandoned us, I guess you could say. Hmm. And then, uh, you know, we kind of grew up while my mother was going through her radiation treatment with different family members and friends, so kind of being shuffled around a bit. And... Then once she was done with that, yeah, we were raised there with my mother, I think until we were about, I was about 10 years old. Uh, the great thing about living out there is like, I grew up with nature, like Canadian nature, right? Like snow, tobogganing, ice skating on the pond in the winter, in the summer, like playing in the woods, uh, climbing trees, uh, you know, playing in the bog, losing our shoes, like full on, like uh, the world is your oyster, right? Like enjoy and uh, don't have to worry about uh, traffic or predators or things like that, right? Like it was just like we lived on seven acres in the, in the middle of uh, farm country. So it was, it was great. Mm. Mm. Growing up uh, there, we did have next door neighbors that um, that were very close and near and dear to me and my brother. They were two girls. One was my brother's age, one was my age, and then an older brother who I think was like two years older than me. So they were kind of like uh, extended family. And then when I was 10 years old-ish, my mother didn't want to be there anymore because it was really hard for her. She worked for like the, the, she worked for the Ontario government and she did like 12 hour shifts. And I think it was like almost like 45 minute an hour drive each way. So like she worked a lot, uh, plus then drove a lot. And we had two houses on this property. So like a big, more modern one and then an older farmhouse. And it was just, a lot, you know, cutting the grass took like three hours on a riding lawnmower. And my dad, this this place was like close to where my dad's family is from. And then again, my dad was in and out of the picture. Uh, not so consistent, I would say. And like we couldn't rely on him, I guess. And then, uh, yeah, my mom just made the decision. She got a, a job transfer closer to where she grew up. And she reconnected with her 
family and her like high school best friend. And then she shifted us here into the Niagara region. And then this is where, yeah, I finished grade school and then six, seven, eight. And then I went to high school here, uh, which wasn't, I mean, I, I think that transition was really hard for me because I didn't really want to leave. Right. Like that was my life. That's, that's all I knew in my life. And, um, and then, like, going from living in the country. I mean, I guess there's pluses and minuses. Going from living in the countryside, which was amazing when you're a kid. But when you're a teenager, I don't know how amazing it would be if you don't have a car and you only have one parent and you live out in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, so then coming to this smaller town of, like, 40,000 people, um, it was, I mean... I still made the best of it. That's one thing I, I could always say about myself is I make the best of every situation. Like I made new friends quickly. We had a, a nice house. We had a pool. Uh, we had a lot of space. Uh, it was also kind of cool because my mom also, like I said, she worked 12 hour shifts, right? So she was, she was out of the house a lot. So like coming into your like tween and teenage years, like I had a lot of freedom, um, which, I totally liked. I, I took advantage of it. I learned how to do things on my own at a very young age, cooking, cleaning, laundry, like all that stuff became very self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother, I would say not so much. Um, but yeah, it was tough in high school for me. Uh, I had like a bunch of friends in grade school that were like all the jockey, like popular boys, right? And then basically going into high school, I think all of them basically abandoned me and they're like, oh, you're gay, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. And then I was like ostracized in high school because all the, they just went around telling everybody I was gay and basically making my life really unpleasant and uncomfortable because, yeah, I was gay, but and I, I've known since I was very young that I was, but it was like, that's like something that I should be able to share when I'm ready. Not, you know, not you guys. I never told any of them that they just picked up on it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So high school was a struggle. You know, the first grade nine, grade 10, I was, I was good. I was like, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do drugs or anything. And I had quite high grades geared towards university education after high school. Then I started like, playing around with like who I hung out with so that I would hang out with like people that would smoke pot. And then I started smoking pot in like grade 11, I think. And then I started drinking a little bit here and there and, you know, just kind of like being more of like the rebellious mm-hmm. bad boy, I guess you could say. And uh, obviously my grades started declining. I became more difficult to deal with at home. Um, And I ended up dropping out of high school at age 17. Actually, so I was dating somebody that was a few years older than me, like six years older than me. He was studying at the college here in Niagara. And I had this really horrible fight with my mom one night. um, And 
basically she went to work the next day and I called him and he picked me and all my stuff up and then I moved in with him and like went no contact with uh, my mom and my brother uh, for like almost six months. Uh, in the meantime, I moved in with him into the next town. I went and did my like day schooling or like adult learning, I guess it was called. So I could get like uh, two credits every six weeks through like half day courses. Um, so I would do that plus work a full time job because um, I had to support myself or contribute towards rent and everything like that. So I was still quite responsible, you know. Um, so I got my credits. I made money. I had fun. We went out and partied. Like uh, he was a chef. We ate good. You know, like life was life was good until it wasn't. And then uh, I think like we ended up breaking up. And then within two weeks, he moved across the country. And then I was left with like an apartment. And I was just like, I can't do this all on my own. Like I can't go to school. I can't uh, afford this apartment by myself. And it was like a house apartment. So it was like the whole floor of a house. So it was quite big. And I ended up moving back into my my mom's house. Um, and I didn't want to go back to high school like my old high school because i was like the year after i had graduated so i would have been going back in the year younger so i just continued and got my credits through the adult learning center here uh so i got my high school diploma and then i lived i think in this small town until i was about 20 years old hmm. and then i moved to toronto and then yeah that was the next chapter of my my life okay so a couple things i i want to uh touch on from what you just shared Forrest. yeah uh, first of all talk to me about um the absence of your dad or the in and out of your dad um when you were younger do you feel like that affected you at all and then now being an adult and looking back and i'm, I'm assuming that you've processed and done a lot of internal work do you feel like uh, the absence and the in and out of your dad had an effect on you into adulthood? So how did it affect you in childhood? How did it affect you in adulthood? And talk to us a little bit, if you don't mind, about how you've maybe worked through uh, some of the negatives of that, if you do feel like that was a negative at any point in your life. So to be quite honest with you, I, it's something that I still need to continuously work on. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm finding, and I don't know if it, I can't pinpoint if it's directly only because of him or if it's also like my mother too, but um, like I tend, or I've been, the romantic relationships I tend to get into uh, and I've just made this connection recently is that they're just like not good. They're emotionally unavailable people. Right. And I'm just like, okay, well, obviously this is stemming from my childhood, from my primary caregivers. And if you like, if you go back to my story and, and me and my brother being shuffled around between people for like two years, like there's no, there was no. Those are your, like your formative years, right? Your first five years of your life, your formative years. 
And if you don't have any consistency in like your first two years of your life or like a, a gap of two years of your life, like that's a pretty big inconsistency, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but the father, so specifically with my father, my father was always the parent that I leaned more towards. So it was very hurtful, you know, um, especially like times when like there had been some times when my mom, once we had moved to Niagara and we like, we'd ha they'd have to like drive and meet halfway because it's like a two hour journey. And like, I remember once we drove the hour to go meet him and he like didn't show up This is before like cell phones and uh, the communication that we have these in this day and age. And just like waiting and like just being like let down, you know, like yet again, my father didn't show up or. Yeah, it was it's tough. And I mean, it's still again, this is what I was talking about before, about like feeling the feelings, right? Because I think that I didn't feel the feelings a lot growing up or it was too painful or too hurtful, right? So then I would go into like coping mechanisms to make myself feel better and um and yeah i mean i understand this is like something that i'm i have difficulty with sometimes like i understand my parents did the best with what they could at the time right Mm -hmm. Um, I also think they're from a generation where like they didn't speak about their feelings. Like they like when I speak to my aunts from my dad's side, they say like, "Oh, we never, we weren't allowed to have feelings, right? Like you just did what you you had to do." And like, um, and I think now in our generation, they're the boomers, right? Like my dad and my mom were the boomers, right? So, uh. Not, I mean, I guess my generation is because I, what would I, what comes after the boomers? Like uh, millennials, right? I'm not, I'm a millennial. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, we're starting to do some of the work. And then maybe Gen Z is doing more of the work, right? But it's more in the collective consciousness now that, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like everybody has some like attachment. Uh, theory like issues in one way or another right and i don't know if it's just in the collective consciousness like this is a thing and it all comes based off your upbringing and your your formative years or i don't know have you been seeing a lot about like attachment theory stuff or is it just maybe because that's what i'm looking into that i'm seeing a lot more of it or it's on my radar more um, I, I, I'm with you. You kind of mentioned, uh, the collective, uh, conscious, uh, I, I, I feel that, um, there's a lot more awareness and a lot more openness. I'm also a, a millennial. I'm almost, uh, 36. So when I was growing up, um, as you mentioned, uh, my parents are, are boomers themselves. So, uh, I, I mean, I grew up in an amazing home, amazing yeah. parents, but there was no, 
there was no emotions. Right. And the, the coaches that I had, I mean, there's, you know, quote unquote, no crying in baseball, suck it up. You got to be hardcore. You got to be harder. You got to be, you know, yeah. Tough. Boys don't cry. Right. Yeah. Like, boys you're not allowed don't to have cry. Them. So, um, I was exposed to all of that. And, uh, you know, I, I held everything in, I didn't know how to ex express myself. So I do believe that we're in a, uh, a day and age where there's a lot more openness and a lot more um, awareness in terms of feelings and emotions and the importance of all humans in terms of uh, feeling those feelings, feeling those emotions, releasing them and kind of like doing that work that that we're talking about. So um, yes, I agree with you that there's, there's um, just a, a greater collective in that regard um, within the human race. So yeah, so sorry, we kind of streamed off, off, off onto the side there. But what was the initial question again? Oh, we're just kind of, uh, you know, just chatting about uh, the absence of your dad and how that's affected you. Um, yeah. So. Sorry, like I said, um. Yeah, I I realize now, like, he was doing the best with what he knew. Like, basically, what, hap I, what I think happened to him is that he was flooded with a bunch of emotions because his wife, you know, got sick. He doesn't know how to raise two children. And what did he do? He turned to alcohol, which basically kept him away from the house. Mm. Um, which is probably, to be honest, better than him being on alcohol in the house mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um but yeah like his thoughts on my dad's my dad's mom had seven children my dad was the second born one and there's like 20 years difference from the first and the last mm. um the oh i just realized it's my the youngest one's 60th birthday in like two weeks, which means that my, my oldest aunt is um, is 80. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. And she lives in Florida. I love her. Um, but yeah, um, their father also kind of took off, right? He left the family and left my grandmother. Um, I think the first three, because there was like the first three were born and then there was like a five-year gap and then she had the other four. So by the time he had left, I think the first three were out of the house already. But again, it's just like, it just goes to show like, uh, I what kind of, of guy or like what my dad grew up in, what type of environment, right? And like mm -hmm. no, no emotions. Like, how are people supposed to process and deal with emotions? Like, if they've never had a chance to, right? And they're already an adult or young adult. Um, my dad was 35 when I was born, so he wasn't a young adult. Um, but I'm even thinking about, like, like I said, like my last like romantic involvement was with somebody that was super emotionally unavailable. Like he like straight up would say, I don't know how to feel my feelings, right? Like I struggle with this. And it's just like, oh, well, like, that really sucks. Um, I know it can be difficult and probably for somebody who never really 
how to or like grew up feeling their feelings like mm -hmm. how overwhelming it could be right mm. or only maybe they feel the like the negative stuff like I would say the the, the previous love relationship was like he, he felt feelings especially when it was negative but like I think he struggled to deal with the good feelings mm. like that came up um but yeah it it definitely has played a toll on me and I'm definitely working through it I've like signed up for some uh like online courses like personal development school which is this uh woman out of Toronto Thais Gibson and a friend had done a bunch of her stuff so I signed up and I mean it's intense work because you literally are going into it's basically like uh uh you're reprogramming your mind right you're reprogramming your belief system you're reparenting yourself mm. so you have to go back into how you felt initially right and the thing is like my brain has blocked out a lot of my childhood like I don't I don't know if, if you can remember a lot of your childhood but I certainly can't like beyond be four or five years old I don't remember anything off the top of my head right hmm. um but it's also crazy like doing this work is like sometimes out of nowhere you'll just get like a flashback and you're like oh my god like hmm that did happen. Like I did experience that. Like that's crazy. Hmm. Um, so that's one thing. I mean, I really, I feel like, uh, I feel a bit overwhelmed trying to find a counselor because I want, first of all, I find the counseling is, I mean, it's super expensive, right? Especially if we're getting a counselor from, in North America, right? It's like 300 plus dollars an hour. And to be honest, I don't make that much money that I can afford to have regular, uh, a regular therapist at that cost. Um, but in India, so I live in India, like I said, but where I can live for basically where I can live and I don't have to like work so much. Um, I can come to Canada and work for three months and, basically live the rest of the year off the money I make here mm. and I get to really live. I, I don't have to worry about working. I really get to be in the moment, try new things, meet new people. Like I have an amazing social life there. I live in an area that's uh, an international community in the South of India called Oroville. And there's art galleries and uh, events happening and dance and, so many things, theater, and it's a very happening place, an exploratory place. Um, so it's amazing. Um, but yeah, just I to find an Indian therapist, it's like, in some ways in India, it's like 20 years behind where we are in the West, mm. especially when it comes to like, you know, like being queer or, uh, uh, even like just like it's like old school thinking mm -hmm. I'm sure I mean there are like there is one uh, therapist I follow on Instagram and she is Indian sex therapist is her, her name and she's like born and raised in India she's queer 
she studied in the U.S. She worked in Europe in the U.S. for many years. And now she's back in India because she wants to, like, bring change from an Indian con context, not from a Western context in India. But um, so there are people like that. It's just like finding finding one. But yeah, it's like, I feel like it's a never ending journey, right? Like I said, with the grief, it's nonlinear, right? So even this stuff with her childhood, it, it's, you think you get over it and then something will like spiral back in another way or on, an, on another level. Mm. But it's, I'm, I mean, I'm on that path. Um, I'm, I'm a seeker. Mm. I'm, I'm, uh, non-conventional i want to be the best version of myself and i realized that there's the lightness and the darkness in everyone right so we have to embrace that and to be honest today was like i knew that we we had this plan for like two weeks but i just woke up this morning and i had a great day yesterday and i just woke up this morning and i was like oh my god i just i don't feel like doing a podcast i just i don't feel like high energy today and I woke up I had my breakfast and I literally went back to bed mm. and then I woke up an hour before we were gonna have the call and then I went back to bed for another 20 minutes but yeah it was just one of those days and um like there's nothing that happened to make me feel like this it's just one of those days right and again I think what I was saying before is like just being present with how you're feeling in the moment right mm. uh if you have the time and space to i mean i do realize most people have jobs and uh, they have a life they're living kids stuff like this they they have obligations right but like for myself it's my day off my my second day off in a row and i didn't really have anything planned today and i was just like I wouldn't think I would want to spend the day in bed, but but I'm just listening to my body and saying, okay, I don't feel like I did everything I had to do, like laundry, groceries, all that stuff. So I don't have anything to do and I don't have a lot of energy and I'm going to stay in bed and I'm going to sleep and I'm going to rest and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So Forrest, if you don't mind, I want to, I want to touch on something else from your childhood that you, uh, brought up and then we're going to, uh, uh, kind of pick up your story, uh, yes. from, uh, when you were, uh, you know, in Toronto from, from that point. Now you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, being gay and you knowing that, uh, from, from a very early age, would you, would you talk about that, please? How, how did you kind of come to, to know that and uh, uh, just expound on anything else you, you'd like to share with us uh, from, from, from that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So remember I said that I had the next door neighbors, the two girls, one was my age and my brother's age. Mm -hmm. And then the other, the older brother was a couple of years older than me. Mm -hmm. So I hung out with the two girls since, <laughs> since like, I was old enough to, mm -hmm. and my brother hung, my brother was like 13 months younger than me. So hanging out with somebody like three or four years older than him, mm -hmm. um, 
like that was the dynamic. So I grew up with these girls that were my best friends. Uh, we played with dolls. I dressed up in the mom's clothes. Like I wanted to do gymnastics. So I never touched on the sports thing, right? I wanted to, they used to figure skate. They did gymnastics. They did um, dance. I wanted to do all those things. Uh, but my mom never let me, right? Hmm. My mom put me into t-ball, which I hated. And then when I was in high school, she was like, or when I was in um, late grade school before high school, she was like, put me into basketball. And also I hated that. But like my, I love dancing. Like even mm. now, like I love dancing. Um, like that's just the type of, uh, I'm a kinesiotic learner. Like I'm good with my body. I like yoga. I like dancing. I like uh, climbing trees, hiking. Like I like moving my body essentially uh so i think um that was one thing um so growing up with those girls and then just being like like i just remember like at five years old being like i like being more attracted to boys mm -hmm. like romantically or whatever whatever that is at five years old right yeah um but then you have like society being like, no, boys like girls and girls like boys, right? So then it's mm -hmm. confusing. Um, and then what would I say? And then when I got old enough to start, you know, like when I was a teenager, then it was like, I never, I was, it was always boys that I would uh, gravitate towards, right? Um, so yeah and when i say boys i mean like other teenagers um yeah. <laughs> and um yeah so i knew at an early age it was kind of hard because like i said you're told this is the way it is and then especially mm -hmm. back then there wasn't so much exposure like there is today right like mm -hmm. now there's like rupaul's drag race is on its like you know 19th season or something like that or something crazy like that so it's and then it's on mtv right like that's a major network um there was none of that when i was younger right i think maybe when i was in high school there's like end of high school or there's queer eye for the straight whatever straight eye i don't know i forget what the name was um you know when I was 17 years old in Canada, gay marriage was legalized. So, you know, it was, but it wasn't like, I think, widely accepted. I think even in the cities, yeah, like cities are always like the place where people have found refuge. But in small town Canada and small town America, like it takes a lot longer mm -hmm. for the status quo to like also like accept it and everything and yeah i guess i was at that at that time when um when things were starting to change here hmm. so now you mentioned that uh <clears throat> high school is really hard for you because some of the other uh kids your age started to, you know, call you gay and, and tell other people that you were gay. So uh, how, how did that, obviously it, it affected you negatively because you said then you kind of started getting into 
weed and drinking and partying, but um, is that something like the the absence and the in and out of your your dad? Is that something that you're still also working through and 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 working on, or is that something that you have broken through and and overcome uh, through the personal work over the years for us? I think for the most part, I've overcome it uh, because. You know, if I, if you look where I am now, uh, I'm. I changed my life completely. Like once we get into the Toronto bit, you'll learn a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I live in India. I have gone on this like self healing journey with like initially with yoga, which has now led me to where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. There are some aspects of that time in my life which still could use some work, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. some things have popped up in my mind recently, and I'm just like, oh, that was a really hurtful time. And, like, mm-hmm. and I just did what I did to get through it, right? Um, but did I really sit and, because at that time I didn't have the tools that I have now. Um, so, I've, I, I mean, I feel like there's probably, and there is still some work there that I need to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think getting into drugs and drinking, like if you look at addiction, right, it's it's usually not like if Gabor Mate doesn't say that it's uh, not like a disease of like you're, you're using the drug or the alcohol. Uh, it's like a lack of connection, essentially, mm-hmm. you're feeling in your life, right? Mm-hmm. So... Lack of connection with my father, lack of connection with these young, straight uh, peers that were my friends that like abandoned me. And you know what I mean? I guess abandonment, abandonment on both sides from my father and and these uh, old friends or peers. Um, but yeah, it's again, like like I said, like this, when you get into this work, there's so much of it. It's uh Maybe if I had, like I said, maybe if I had like a therapist, it would be a bit better that I wouldn't be left doing everything on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely aspects from both both sides that still need some work, right? Right. And uh, yeah, slowly, slowly, bit by bit, poco a poco, uh, I'll get there. Mm. Mm. But yeah, like I said, I'm in a, a totally different place than I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, 10 years ago, are we ready to transition into the Toronto part? Let's go for it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So when I moved to Toronto, I okay, so this is the story. I literally got fired from my job here in Niagara. And I had like my last paycheck and I was like, I'm done with here. Like I'm moving to Toronto. I went on Craigslist. I found like uh, a room for rent and like uh, in Toronto, it was like 500 bucks a month. My last paycheck was like $750. So I had like enough money to pay for rent for the first month and, you know, get situated a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I just literally moved myself up there my mom 
help me. She rented like a trailer. Or, I don't know. She had whatever, um, an SUV or something. But we got all my stuff up there. And then within a month, I found a job at a restaurant. And then you know what it's like working at a restaurant. Usually, like, especially as a young person, uh, it's just like, as a young person in a big city, it's like the party like lifestyle, right? So mm-hmm. then, I mean, I had already gotten into like using cocaine quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably say around 18 years old. Before that, I had experimented with all the drugs and I used to like ecstasy and ketamine and mm. mushrooms like all that stuff but the thing was like the cocaine went really well with drinking mm. so you could drink more and you could stay stay like coherent right and you couldn't get too drunk because you had like that other thing to balance you out so that kind of became my life for like the next I think 20 to 28, I would say. Okay. I was young. Uh, I, I was new to the city initially. Uh, you know, like people liked having me and my friends around. So we would get invited to all the parties and get to know all the DJs and all the promoters. And then essentially, like, you're not paying to go out, right? You're, they actually want, would want you there because you were fun and you looked good and you you dressed well and mm-hmm. uh, you added an extra spark to the party right mm-hmm. um so yeah that became my life for for like eight years i would say the last couple of years probably weren't as glamorous as the first few years uh, because then it was kind of like it was more dark i would say like it was like i knew i wanted to stop partying but I wanted to stop doing cocaine, and then I I was like, well, uh, I would try, and then every time I drank, I would end up doing cocaine, and then some, like in the end, it was like going on two-day benders and then doing stuff that I wouldn't normally do mm-hmm. if I was right-minded. And then like that would eat away at my psyche, because I'm like, I'm, I know that like this is not what I'm destined to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what snowballed me into changing my lifestyle. It's like I'm I meant I meant to do more than this in life. Like um and I basically just like went cold turkey and quit drinking because like I said, I had tried to quitting cocaine, but then after I got drunk to a certain level, I would always find it and it was always easy to find in the city. And then with the connections I had for eight years of doing it, like I could always find it. So I was just like, okay, I have to quit drinking. Um, okay. So I also, so I also had like a deviated septum, which I think was from like falling off my bicycle one night when I was drunk. And like, uh, I don't know if I broke my nose because I never went to the hospital, but it was quite messed up for like a couple of weeks. And then, like, with the constant cocaine usage, um, I think it deviated my septum. So I went to see a specialist, and they're like, okay, like, we can fix this for you. And, but I knew in my mind, like, if I get this surgery done, like, I have to quit using cocaine, like, for good. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to 
essentially lose like septum right um so i saw him in like i think like the fall and then like those last couple months i saw him in the fall and i actually got the surgery done like the following valentine's day so those last i like got what i had to get out of my system in those last few months and like really like come to terms with like i can't do this anymore and Mm. and what that all entailed essentially like which which entailed for me like cutting off all those and i'm using quotations here like friends um because i couldn't be in that environment anymore right i was basically like breaking off from all that and like starting a new chapter of my life so not hanging out with people that that i would do those things with um which is pretty much like most of my friends um at the time and also for them like they didn't want to hang out with me once i got sober because they still were continuing that lifestyle and Mm -hmm. it's no fun having somebody around that uh isn't doing what you're doing right mm-hmm. um so yeah it was a big change 20 i can't remember if it was 27 or 28 but this is like a pivotal moment in where i'm at now mm-hmm. um so i did one year without drinking uh at the end of that one year or so, i guess in that one year i like i had a friend from high school that was living close by in toronto and she had um she had quit drinking a few years prior to me. So she had done AA and all that. I didn't do AA. I just kind of like, like I said, went cold turkey and like kind of went inwards and mm-hmm. uh, more of the spiritual route, I guess you could say. I started practicing yoga. And then I had a friend that also used to work in the party industry. And then she had just started traveling. Like She also had like a, a marketing company or uh, viral marketing company, like businesswoman type, type, uh, a type personality woman. And, uh, she was just like, I think she had went to Central America like one winter to explore a bit. And then she was just like, you know, somebody that I knew from back then, um, that knew the industry, but also wasn't like really trying to live that life anymore. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Hey, like, she had this dream like let's like move somewhere and start a community right and I was like okay like I'm down like let's do it at that point for the past that year I had been working in a restaurant and basically I was just like working all the time and it's so funny that friends actually that I'm talking about is literally calling me right now Um, yeah (laughs) that's awesome that's amazing um so i was working in a restaurant and i was just like what am i like there's more to life than working and paying bills right like i'm making all this money i don't have any time off to spend this money like what am i doing Mm -hmm. um there's there's more to life than this and then i'm living in the city the reason i moved to the city was because it was a great place to party and there was so much going on. But now that I don't do this, like, what am I doing here? Like, I feel disconnected. This is when I started going back to my roots. Like, I grew up in forests. Mm-hmm. So my birth name isn't Forest. I chose the name Forest. Um, 
because that's how connected I feel. Like when I go back into my childhood, I grew up in the forest and that's where I feel the most calm and the most peaceful and the most myself. Mm. Um, so I was also looking to like reconnecting with nature, exploring the world more. And she had found this eco village design course. Cause we were like, we know nothing about starting a community. Like, but we found this course. It's on a, an eco village on Isla de Ometepe in Nicaragua, Nicaragua. And, um, it was a month long course where you like lived on the eco village and you studied there and it was off grid. It was like all natural building. All the food came within a 10 kilometer radius on the islands. Like it was an amazing experience. And I went there and my friend actually ended up dropping out within the first few days, but I and, but continued to live at the eco village and I continued on in the course. Mm. and we just learned so many different things like alternative ways of doing things like economically ecologically um uh socially and then like worldview topics mm. like meditations and uh, active meditations and like really shaking things up and it was it was like i mean you can only learn so much in one month but it gave you a little taste of different ways of doing things than how most things operate in our Western or I would say all over the world, more or less. Um, and that, and then like basically all the co-facilitators of this course, I think there's like five or six or seven of them. And they all basically were like living alternative lives, but traveling and, you know, doing what they love. And I was like, Oh wow. You mean I don't have to work at a restaurant and, or work a nine to five job and uh, make money and pay bills and stay in one place. Like you can actually live in a different way. Hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so it took me a couple of years to like transition out of, like I kept one foot in both worlds. I would like, I mean, I guess I still kind of do, but not as much as I used to. Like I kept a, an apartment in Toronto still for a couple of years. Um, and I would go away for the winters uh, and then, what did did I do that? No, like, yeah, my cousin I think stayed in my apartment one one winter when I was gone, and then, um, and then I was done with Toronto. And then I moved to Barcelona. A friend from Toronto had moved there, and she had like an English teaching school. And she's like, "Come work with me." And like, I went and tried it out for four months, and it kind of like it wasn't where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and I'm like, well, I, I think I came back to Canada. It was winter. I had a job to do for like 10 days, which paid a lot of money enough for me to go away for the rest of the winter. So I did that. And then I'd go back in the summer and work that job again. So I did that for a couple of years. It paid me like $5,000 for 10 days of work twice a year. So that was enough for me to just like, go to you know developing country or developing countries and travel around and and uh, um so then i did that uh so i never really had like my own i never kept an apartment in toronto or in canada i just basically would keep things between my mom and my dad's house Mm -hmm. and uh go away for the winters and then uh work in the summers and yeah 
I guess in 2015, I, I, after I'm, so I had gone to 2014, I think I moved to Spain in the fall and I came back 2015 in, I think January. And then I did that job. Then I went to Central America for the winter. Then I came back and lived with my aunt and worked at a restaurant for a couple of months. And then I was gearing up to go to India for my first time where I was doing a three-month residential yoga teacher training in Mumbai at uh, one of the oldest or the oldest organized yoga institute in the world, which I knew nothing about. But I was like, I was like, if I'm going to spend like, uh, $2,000, do I do it for one month then go to like Costa Rica and like, get taught by white people? Or do I go to India, the birthplace of yoga, and do a three-month program, which includes my food and accommodations and everything, and like get taught by like Indians? And I was like, well, the Indian way kind of seems more authentic to me. Mm-hmm. So I went that route. And... Also, it was like more bang for your buck, right? Like $2,000 in three months. Uh, you can absorb a lot more in three months versus in in one month. And I'm so happy I did that because it changed my life. Like mm. like I said, like I, I've been pre- pretty much living in India since then. Um, I actually hated it the first time I went there. It was very difficult for me, especially coming as a Canadian you know like Canadians are known to be very nice and uh, it's cordial polite I guess is the right way to say you know if somebody asks you something you'll give you their time and for me in India the first time like so many people you're like white right you stand out so you're like you target for so many people especially when you go to like t- more touristy areas mm-hmm. so I'm just trying to give my time out to everybody and like you know, be present. And I'm just like exhausted by the end of the day because it's just like people Mm -hmm. like sucking, sucking, sucking. Mm -hmm. So it was really good. It taught me a lot about boundaries. Um, But yeah, that first, those first four months when I basically, when I was done at the yoga Institute, I got on the plane. I had to go back to work that 10 day job. And I was like, get me on the plane. But then as soon as I was on the plane, I was like, I don't want to be leaving. And then I think within six months, I was back in India and uh, slowly, slowly, just like more and more time being spent there. Mm. Um, And yeah, the past year and a half, I've been living in South India in an eco. It's like one of the oldest spiritual communities, uh, I guess. Uh, or eco village, I guess you could call it. Although they wouldn't call it, some people would call it an eco village, and some people wouldn't call it an eco village. Uh, it's actually quite a tumultuous time in this community. It's like two different factions, like the super greenies, fighting against the super uh, religious. I guess you could say, or uh, yeah, more like the the two different sides of, of the community, um, trying to say what they are, where they're going and how things should be done. Um, but yeah, I've spent the past year and a half there. I came back in, 
Um, when did I come back? End of March to work a job out west. Um, that was basically really amazing money for three months of work, but like it turned out to be a, a job that uh, they had to promise me a bunch of things and it was completely the opposite when I got there. And I'm like, yo, this is not cool. And mm -hmm. I'm standing up for myself and I'm not going to take this. It's not acceptable. And yeah, I had to go after like, after a month I had to go um, because I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I had to take care of myself and I and my physical, emotional and mental health and, um what they were asking of me was too much they wanted me to do two people's jobs for less money than i had to agreed to come for one person's job mm. and i'm just like this is not cool and it sucks that i'm not going to make this money and it sucks that i flew all the way back from india for this job and it didn't work out but i need to stand strong in in my decision and in taking care of myself mm -hmm. and it felt really good to do that like i felt good to stand strong in my power um and that's kind of why i ended up back here at my mom's house and then i'm just like okay well what's the quickest way to make money uh without taking your clothes off and i'm like restaurant work so i got a serving job and yeah i'm just like focused on getting back to india to be honest and also changing my life so that i don't have to keep coming back there so now i'm trying to think how do I, you know i'm, I'm 38 years old uh i just i guess could say like i live from not paycheck to paycheck because i don't make a paycheck all the time but like i make my money i live off my money i make my money i live off my money and you know i'm not establishing a saving and i'm getting older and i'm just like okay well i need to start doing things differently this has worked great for the time being but like where do you know what about 20 years from now right mm -hmm. um so now it's got me thinking about starting a business in india and shifting full time there and then when i do come back to north america it's just to visit right not not to work mm -hmm. unless the work requires me to come back to north america but not like to work a job you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah so uh the the uh the 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 club work that you did or the the party scene work that you did and then when you said that you would come back for a short amount of time, make make enough money to live and, and take off, was that all related to stripping then or, or other stuff for us? Oh, no, 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 nothing to do with stripping. I just said oh. the quickest way to make money without taking your clothes off is restaurant work because okay. Okay. of the tips, right? Okay. Um, so it's like a joke. But uh, no, when I came back, to work for 10 days i was actually a project manager mm. for a company that it exhibited at uh a canadian gift and tableware association trade show mm. so it was essentially like where all the retailers came to to purchase uh their stocks showing their stores i'm talking more like the specialty brick and mortar stores mm -hmm. not like the walmarts and marshalls and big box stores I mean, they would be there, but we didn't really like to deal with them because the products that we represented were more like unique, higher end, hmm. you know, not like 
specialty. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I did that. It was great. It was like 500 bucks a day. Um, cash, you know what I mean? They, they paid for my car rental, all that stuff. So I like had very, very few expenses. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing was, though, like that was also like the time when like people stopped going to trade shows. Everybody was doing everything online, and still is doing everything online. So like the she the the owner, I don't know if she lost her husband before or after she started to to close up shop. I think it was shortly after. Um, but yeah, she was just like, it's not lucrative anymore for me to, to go to these trade shows and I'm going to take a step back. Like they were in their seventies already. They'd been doing this for many years. They were already kind of well off. They had a nice big house that they built out in Eastern Canada and their Buddhist community out there. And, um, yeah, they just went into their next chapter, I guess. Okay. Hmm. Okay. But then that was. That was like also a big uproot for me because then I'm like, oh shoot, like I'm used to making like a lot of money in a short period of time and mm-hmm. and going to get to do what I want to do. Mm. But then, yeah, it was uh, it was a big uh, change for me as well. Mm. But these things are good. This is this is mm. like they makes you get outside your comfort zone, right? You mm. you have to get think on your feet and like make things work and mm-hmm. it's good to shake things up mm. okay so you 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 got out of the party scene um you you started to to, to travel and explore and 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 go on that search of finding uh your yourself so to speak can you still hear me Forrest? yes i can Okay, perfect. So, um, you 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 get out of you get out of the party stuff. You go on your personal exploration uh, to kind of figure things out, find find out who you are, um, and and begin uh, healing. Now, I want you to kind of share with us, Forrest, like what 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 have you what have you found out about yourself, and 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 who are you currently as you've gone through this exploration and this search. And, and what are you in pursuit of, uh, you know, in, in the future outside of maybe getting a little bit more financially stable, which you already mentioned, but like personally, mm-hmm. what, what are you, what are you pursuing now? So what have you learned about yourself? Who are you currently and where, uh, do you want to go? What, what are you pursuing, uh, for forest barber in the future? So I, have learned that I'm a very dynamic person. I am good at many things. Mm-hmm. I also get bored at doing the same thing for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like connecting with people. I have a gift of connecting with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I have many skills which can be used in so many different ways and applications and industries. Um, but yeah, I think the connection, being able to connect well and easily with people is one of my greatest gifts. Mm. Um, to be honest, I would like to kind of set up, because I've been so nomadic, uh, I think part of me will always be nomadic. Mm-hmm. But I do want to set up like a home base for myself in India, 
where it's like my home or I have my things, mm -hmm. which I can leave and come back to when as I please. Right. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I would love to meet somebody and like explore partnership and mm -hmm. learning more about oneself through partnership. Mm -hmm. Um as well because i think that's also a beautiful aspect of mm -hmm. being human and i think it's also one of the greatest teachers and because it's like triggers again like all that childhood stuff comes up through through uh these close interpersonal relationships mm -hmm. um so that would be there um and yeah, like I said, I don't want to ever stop like traveling. I want to continue to travel. I want to continue to explore different cultures and meet new people and learn new things. I think that such an amazing and beautiful way to learn. Mm. And uh, and it suits my, like I said, I'm a kinesthetic person, so like it suits it suits me. I like to move around. I like to I like to do things. Um, so yeah, I think that's what's up. So I have a few business, uh, plans that I'm just working out with like what I could do in India and actually like a bridge between India and Canada since I'm, since I'm living there and mm -hmm. India is such a, a rich country with so many, uh, beautiful resources and people and craftsmanships and how can I bridge the gap between the two countries? Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen, but yeah, I mean, I just basically, the way I want to live my life is I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to travel. I want to, uh, continue to love. I want to continue to connect and, uh, I want to have fun while doing all that. Hmm. I love that, man. That's, uh, that's a beautiful picture there now. I want to ask you, Forrest, what's your uh, greatest fear? Now, I'm not talking about like snakes or spiders or something like that. But, you know, um, you know, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, Quentin, what's your greatest fear? Uh, I'd say, you know, not 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 living up to, to you know, my my fullest, greatest potential in terms of, uh, you know, what God has for me. Right. So my faith is in. Yeah. In, and I believe that, you know, God has a plan. He has a will for my life. And my my greatest fear or one of my greatest fears is not fulfilling that plan and that will that God has for me. So that's kind of like the vein that I'm asking in terms of what's your greatest fear, uh, Forrest? To be honest, like, like, like you said, I do also believe that God has a plan, but I feel like whatever happens is part of the plan. Mm -hmm. um and that if you have that that will and that knowledge and that belief mm -hmm. then you're gonna do well mm -hmm. um that's my point of view on that mm -hmm. my my biggest fear would be to be honest um like not being able to live the life that I want to live, like not being able to, to travel, not being able to having to like work that nine to five job and like 
live this normal lifestyle that so many people are accustomed to here like that's really a, a fear of mine like I actually struggled with that coming back and like what if I, I if I'm stuck here mm. um, again I don't know like like I said like what I just touched on like I think God does have a plan and I think that uh, everything happens for a reason and you know we have to make the best of whatever situation we're in but if you have faith and you have that belief mm -hmm. i think that you're gonna do good mm -hmm. um the greatest potential thing was also a fear of mine before right especially when i was in that that darker period of my life right but then i was just like no like go towards the light right like we you have the power to change this like i believe that we all have the power within ourselves to do whatever we want right um and yeah if if there's a will there's gonna be a way mm -hmm. and you gotta be you might need to get creative with it it, it, it certainly might not be easy but there are so many of these uh, rags to riches or success stories, right? Or none of these people ever would have thought, thought they'd get to where they're at now, right? Mm -hmm. And even like myself, like I think some of a lot of people that I used to hang out with are dead or they're like crackheads now, right? Like they, they went beyond the point of it just being recreational and fun, right? Where it went into like a serious addiction mm. Mm. and I, I mean for myself that's what that's what, what I was scared of and I was like no I like I can do this I can change this like I can you know it might suck I might like not have any friends for a little while or you know but I gotta make this decision nobody else is gonna help me right like it's it's all on me mm. so my greatest fear yeah would be like being stuck i guess yeah. stuck yeah. in a place that i don't want to be mm. but if i go back to that thinking of like no i can make this happen i can make the the best of this like all the power lies within me and mm -hmm. remembering that then then it's all good mm. it's all going to be good mm -hmm. and now i'm just thinking back to how i was telling you like oh I was like not feeling so great this morning and I was I went back to bed after I woke up and had my breakfast and like I wasn't even though we had agreed to do this podcast I wasn't looking very forward to it and I'm just reflecting back that like now I feel actually super charged mm. and I feel so grateful that we actually had this conversation because I just reminded myself mm. and you helped me remind myself mm. of the power that I do have in my life and that we all have in our lives. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's the light but and there's the dark and we have to respect both, right? But it's mm -hmm. just like not getting stuck in one or the other, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In the sense, like, yeah, like some people get stuck in the light. I would say then they get spiritual bypass and they, they don't 
deal with the fact that there's also like darker aspects of life that are there, right? We have night and day. We yeah. live in a dualistic world, right? Mm. Uh, it's it's just the, the nature of uh, this 3D life that we live. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. Thank you so much for this uh, this this podcast. I um, I'm feeling really really charged and uh, my mood has totally flipped and you know even speaking about parts of my life that were really hard and still can, that I can still struggle with at times like, like I said my father and these, these uh, old peers that uh, treated me in a certain way mm-hmm. but it's just like whatever you know like they did what they did but I'm forging forward mm-hmm. and life goes on and yeah, I can't get stuck in the mud. Yeah. Love it. And and you're welcome. And maybe you can just consider this uh, a free therapy session. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and that's what I, that's what I mean for me, just talking with a friend or it, sometimes it's not even a friend. Sometimes you just meet somebody randomly and you get into these random deep conversations, mm-hmm. but it's like divine intervention, right? Like that person was there for that reason. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, sometimes it is just a free therapy session. <laughs> well, uh, you know, for me, for us, I've been podcasting for five years now, um, with three different podcasts and this one obviously being my, my latest one, but for me, my soul is set on fire, uh, and I am enlivened, uh, you know, when I get to just listen to people and their stories. So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, a, a, a two-sided coin here, uh, for me just to be able to connect with random people through Instagram, invite them to come on the podcast and, uh, you know, hear them share their story. It, it, it enlivens me. It, it sets my soul on fire. So I, I want to say thank you to you as well. Um, but before you wrap it up here, I want to touch on something that you have, uh, in your Instagram bio, you have written food sovereignty advocate. I have no idea what that means. Can you explain that to myself and all the, uh, listeners, please? Yeah. So I'm super big on like, knowing where your food comes mm-hmm. where it's grown how it's grown mm-hmm. um the politics around food mm-hmm. uh especially like uh agrotech like uh bayer monsanto all these things like the policies that are uh moving uh behind the scenes that affect all of us in our day-to-day uh food choices right mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like coming back to Canada after two and a half years, we're in a recession. I'm, I think you guys are probably in a recession in the United States as well. The whole world mm-hmm. mostly probably is. But the cost of fresh food has gone up tremendously. Mm-hmm. And then there's all this processed fake food that is available for cheap, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the gut is so connected to the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're eating crap, you're probably going to think and feel like crap. Mm. So uh, I could go on forever and ever and ever about this. But one person that I totally admire and respect and who's very intelligent, actually like 
um, she's some kind of physicist, but she's huge in the food advocacy um, or sovereignty and advocacy. Uh, her name is Vandana Shiva, V-A-N-D-A-N-A, -A -A, uh, last name Shiva, A-S-H-I-V-A. And she is a powerhouse of a woman. She speaks for the UN. She is like against uh, all these huge agro tech companies mm. and uh, like a food, a seed saver and uh, a preserver of, um, yeah, a pre preserver of like heritage seeds, heritage, um, unique varieties that these larger companies are trying to wipe out with their hybridized GMO mm. uh, seeds and mono mono agriculture and monocropping, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. It's like knowing, I don't know, I try to buy like my eggs pastured from somebody who has their chickens running around their front yeah, or backyard mm -hmm. versus just going to a grocery store and getting like the two ninety nine or three ninety nine or whatever eggs are on sale that come from the big hen houses that are the chickens never see the light of day right mm -hmm. um again i mean it's different in canada because we only have like really one growing season right uh -huh. it's uh, winter half the year but in summertime when i'm here i'm out at those farmers markets i'm stopping at those stalls on the side of the country roads uh, trying to support the farmers I'm trying to support people that are doing growing organically and heritage uh, seeds and, um, you know, continuing on what our ancestors had done for so long. Hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, I mean, you, you can go down the rabbit hole with this, but uh, if anybody's interested, I would recommend checking out Vandana Shiva. Um, and then there's some amazing documentaries. I think Seeds to Grow is one. And um, yeah, you can start just Googling with some of that stuff and you'll find a whole bunch of information. Hmm. Awesome. Um, Forrest, I think that's a, a perfect place to kind of wrap up uh, uh, our conversation today. Um, I, I feel like we, we've gone about 90 minutes. I feel like we've had a really thorough conversation. Um, I, I feel like we've touched on a lot of different things in terms of your life. And uh, I just want to say before um, we wrap it up here, I want to say again, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story candidly. Um, I, I really appreciated it. Like I said, kind of at the beginning, I, I found you on Instagram. I was like, I got to get this guy on because uh, I, I, I feel like he's going to have uh, something uh, unique and interesting to share with with all of us. And, and uh, I just want to say thank you now. Before I do a quick outro and I let you go, uh, Forrest, um, if you want to share anything in closing, any final thoughts, any final words, uh, if people want to connect with you on social media, uh, please give us your social media and uh, anything else that you want to leave. I'm going to turn it over to you. I'll do a quick outro and then I'll let you go. So the platform is yours, Forrest. Guys, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I appreciate it uh, immensely. Um, like I said, you shifted my energy personally, uh, which is beautiful, right? Um, 
had I not been a person that keeps to my word, I might have just stayed in bed and never <laughs> got up to take the Zoom call. But I was like, no, I've made a commitment. I'm just going to follow through. I'm going to go with it. And I'm so happy that I did. For anybody that would like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at yogi, Y-O-G-I dot forest, F-O-R-E-S-T. And yeah, everybody take care. And uh, remember this too shall pass. So live in the moment. Um, and I hope to speak with whomever likes to speak with me soon. Thank you so much again for having me on the podcast and um, please keep in touch. I'll, I'll definitely be uh, checking out some of your podcasts. Awesome. Uh, you're, you're very welcome again for us. I'm going to do a quick outro and then, uh, and then uh, I'll get you out of here. Okay. Cool. Excellent. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of curious and candid. I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And uh, if you guys would like to connect with me, uh, I would love to connect with you. A couple places that we can we can connect is Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast, email, curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. And then a huge favor I'd ask of all of you uh, before you guys uh, go on with your day, uh, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can check out my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, and we'll catch you guys next time.